Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com. Hello, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today my guest is Rhonda Collins, who's the Chief Nursing Officer for Vocera. Vocera is a platform that helps optimize communication and workflows in the hospital setting, and Rhonda's work helps healthcare providers communicate securely in a hands-free manner, which turns out is super important in a ton of different care settings. Listen to me have several aha moments in this episode where Rhonda shares her expertise. Thank you very much for joining me today, Rhonda. I am really impressed by your like resume and everything you've done. So I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit better and hear from your words what your place in the health IT ecosystem is. So if you wouldn't mind taking a minute to introduce yourself. Okay. And first of all, I just want to say that the title of this podcast, Hit Like a Girl, is fantastic. It's about my favorite thing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I've, I've read in a long time. I'm a nurse with a few miles on me, and I started out as a high risk labor and delivery nurse. And in that arena, even in the early days, we were one of the areas that relied on technology to help us care for our patients because one or more of your patients you can't see. 
you can't touch, you can't feel. It's inside mom. So we had to rely on technology to allow us to monitor the baby, to learn to interpret that and read it. So I would say from the very beginning of my career over 30 years ago, I was very tuned into the technology side supporting nursing and supporting my practice. And so I became interested in how nurses accepted or rejected technology, how nurses and physicians together would collaborate around technology. And so that informed years later, my work trying to understand what is the margin of acceptance or rejection of technology at the bedside? How do we ensure that we're making the right decisions in the hospital? How do you take someone like me who has an interest in that and has spent several, a couple of decades in that business to transfer that knowledge now to nurse executives who are trying to make decisions about technology in their hospitals. So that's really just a very condensed version of my progression <laughs> to this point. I've never heard it said like that. And I really appreciate it. Like there's the patient that you can't see or touch or hear. <laughs> you can't. I mean, and you have to rely on technology to tell you what's happening. You have to rely on technology for the heart rate. You have to rely on technology to tell you the intensity of the mother's contractions and all of those things. And so it was very much an extension of my hands and my practice and my eyes. And that's when I really came to understand the impact it could have in caring for patients. Well, so then where have you landed now? Where do you spend your time professionally? When you go from just trying to understand what helps or what compels a nurse to use technology, because I, I will say in healthcare, as you've probably heard, it is a razor thin margin of acceptance or rejection. And many times hospitals spend millions of dollars on technology that is abandoned very, very quickly. And so I wanted to study that first. And so I did some research around that and came to understand that if it fits within the context of a nurse's work or a caregiver's work, they're more likely to use the technology, even if it has more than five clicks. Right. Even if it has, if it the integration is not as seamless, if it really helps a purpose at work, they will adopt it. If it doesn't really solve a distinct problem or fit within the context of their work, in, in other words, it doesn't alter the way they have to go about their practice, they're more than likely to adopt it. If it changes that, then they're quick to abandon it. And so I studied that. And then from there, I started looking at, because the common notion is that technology increases the cognitive burden or it increases the cognitive load. And I wanted to understand, is that true? (laughs) Because sometimes we just hear things and we accept it. And then as I started to study cognitive burden and realized that in that space of cognitive overload, It's where mistakes happen. Nurses become frustrated, eventually become burned out. And all of those things was really that technology can carry the burden of memory and actually release cognitive burden. And so we needed to reframe that conversation that health IT had a role in reducing cognitive load. Well, so does that mean that there's certain technologies that are on your radar that have done a really great job and others that have sort of, well, fully missed the mark? And do you want to speak to any of those? Yeah, I would love to. You know, if you look at the nurse right now and you look at the congestion of the nurse workforce and the frustration and, you know, just the fact that nurses are leaving and 
unprecedented numbers. The thing that happens is burnout. And I would say that we act like burnout magically happens or it's this force that we can't control that just descends on us. But in reality, burnout is a work-related injury. It comes from a frustrating work environment. It comes from a difficult work environment. And so when I look at technology to say, look, the things that are so convenient in our lives, like, you know, just a smartphone, or to look at how do we keep nurses mobile? Because the mobile nurse is the more convenient nurse, working in the moment, not having to go back and find information, not having to look for resources, but being able to work from wherever they are. And um, people who've heard me speak about this will know that I use this example all the time to say, a nurse can sit in the parking lot and pay the babysitter on Venmo (laughs) or any other pay app. They can text family to make sure everyone's got the children after school. They can order groceries to be delivered when they get off work and home from their shift. But yet they have to put all that convenience away and go in the hospital and chase down desk grounded phones or, you know, have to look up phone numbers and all of those things. And I don't know about you, but even my grown children, I don't know their phone numbers. I know it's in my phone and that's what I do. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And so that's what I look at is we use the technologies and we use the instruments that we have. We translate that to healthcare. It doesn't translate seamlessly. It requires planning and instruction and knowledge and study to be able to transfer those devices into the work environment, but it can be done. And and that then can carry the burden of memory. It can advise you in the moment at the time. You don't have to carry around useless information because you can rely on the device to get that information too. I mean, just considering like when I was a kid, you'd have to remember remember all of your friends' phone numbers and you're just like, what a waste of space in my brain of trying to remember those things like and in the nursing field, imagine you could put those that brain power to much more efficient and effective use. You certainly can. I mean, a perfect example of it is, you know, one patient may have four physicians and then there might be subspecialists. You could be up to 10 physicians on one patient and every single one of them want to be contacted another way. Some want to be paged, some want to be called on a cell phone, some want to be texted on their cell phone, some want you to call their office, some want you to call the answering service. And the nurse has to commit all of that to memory. It's just, you know, the nurse just has to remember How do I contact this specific physician for this specific patient? And if they have three or four patients, you can see that it it just, it takes up all of this space for just not very useful information. So enabling technology to carry that information for you so you don't have to go look for it and you can just call it up. Enabling the nurse to get lab values in the moment without having to go to the desk or call the lab, but just request it. Just, you know, when I look at it, it's the right information at the right time in the right format. That is exactly how we need nurses to be able to function and stay mobile. Assuming that they're able to do that, when they're able to do that, is that literally from their phone or is it a device that is maybe like assigned to them while they're in the hospital? Is usually a hospital provided smartphone of some kind, whether, you know, iOS or Android platforms, but just assigning the nurse. Usually hospitals do shared phones. They don't like nurses using their personal phones just because they don't want patient data on there. And so the the shared phones from shift to shift, 
and it will go off. And, and the thing is, it's not about the device, it's about the software, because if nurses are, if I sign in under my name, everything that's attached to me in that software, whether I'm the charge nurse or I'm on the code team or all of those things, then just come automatically to me. And that's that's really how technology can streamline everything. I don't need a call sheet. I don't need to go looking for people. I don't need to run to the desk and look for a lab value or, you know, find the computer on wheels or the workstation and pull that up. I can have that pushed to my mobile device and be able to access that as I need it. So practically speaking, is that how it's working in a lot of hospitals now where there's like a set of device when they come in for a shift, they just pick it up and sign in with their login? That is usually how it works, how it works effectively or integratively is very, it's quite fractured. And so that's one of the things that I focus on is how do we get, how do we make this more streamlined? How do we not add to the problem, but we actually solve a problem? And as you know, it requires a commitment to strategy and integration and all of those things that we have to do to make that happen. So in a perfect world, if you could like snap your fingers and solve this problem, how would you do it? What would you do? In the perfect world, I would tell hospital executives that there's two strategies you have to look at. You know, the electronic health record is very important, but it is a repository of information. And that is a documentation strategy. That is the information that resides in this this great, robust databank that we access on each patient. But separately from that, you have to have a communication strategy. It's not just something that happens because when communication works, it solves many problems. When it doesn't work, it causes more problems. (laughs) And so that's what we try to solve is to just look at how do we create a communication strategy that can integrate with your EHR, that can accommodate every single preference, whether it's iOS or Android, or whether it's digital conversations or live conversations, or how do we carry all the information that we need to carry. And then on top of that, How do we create a device, a wearable device that nurses don't have to touch? Mm. And that's what we've done. And it has been so successful through the pandemic because nurses could communicate easily just voice activation with a, a wearable under their PPE. They don't have to hold anything to their face. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to know names. They don't have to know numbers. They can just use the software to contact who they need. So that's really, when I talk to different hospital leaders, that's what I I really spend a lot of time talking about is how do we create for you a strategy that allows the hands-free in addition to the smartphone, in addition to your overall strategy of technology to bring all of that together? I mean, there's a couple things that come up for me. One, I think that one I'm curious is the wearable device. Is it like a watch or something? To like We call it a badge, but it's actually a small device that is very lightweight that clips on. And I can just wake it up saying, okay, Mosera, and it wakes up. And then I don't even have to know, like I wouldn't have to know your name. I can say, call the person in charge of interviews today. <laughs> right. And it will call the right person who's working that day because you signed in on the software as well to be that person. Gotcha. So that's how it works. You know, call respiratory therapist. I don't know who's come on shift at 7 a.m., but I know that there's somebody on call. So it allows me to do that. So the wearable has been hugely, hugely beneficial over the last couple of years. I mean, it's always been helpful, but 
it's made a, a massive difference. Through- well, to your point around the PPE and like that's huge and not having to touch or spread germs or, you know, like disinfect yeah. anything like that's massive. A, you know, I've, I've had nurses when I've been in the hospital, a phone would ring and someone would say, you're going to now say, I'm not putting that up to my face. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they say that your cell phone is dirtier than anything else. You yeah. know, it's yeah. often like dirtier than a toilet, I've heard. No, like, I've read those studies too. Yeah. But, you know, what we've done is oh. just create something that has a special coating on it that's resistant to bacteria. And then it can be worn under PPE and, you know, nurses can articulate and be connected as quickly as they need to. The other thing that we've done is add a, based on nurse feedback and focus groups, We've added the stress caller, what we call a panic feature for workplace violence, which is just, if you read the headlines, you know that it is a work crisis level with that in the United States and in our hospitals. I decided that I was going to start a Twitter campaign of just bringing that to everyone's attention. And unfortunately, there is no lack of content for me to say, you know, hashtag they didn't sign up for this. Right. And, you know, a nurse in Florida was attacked by a patient and she was pregnant and unfortunately lost the pregnancy from the violence of the attack. Another nurse was stabbed several times last week. And so we have put a panic feature in so nurses can just press that button and summon help instantly can reduce it the response from minutes to mere seconds. Wow. And our goal, of course, is to protect the workforce and the environment that they're working in now. So would it only recognize the voice of the user? That's it is a shared device. So when I sign in as Rhonda, I would say, wake it up and it would say, hello. And I would say, Rhonda Collins. It'll say, what's your name? And I'll say, Rhonda Collins. And when I say that, then I'm immediately signed into the software. The device is is not specific to me as an individual. Right. No, I guess it's just a technical question. If somebody else knew that you were wearing a device that was activated by voice, could they talk? Could they start talking to it to make it do anything? No, they could wake it up, but it's waiting for me, Rhonda. It's voice recognition. It works over voice recognition. I love it. And I mean, I mean, the other thing that's coming up for me is just like these people have really hard jobs to begin with. And so when you're adding in additional stresses around communication, it almost just seems like if you can get rid of all of that so that you can solve the problem at hand, like that's where the attention really needs to be paid. Yeah. Over the last seven years, we've been doing these clinical assessments where we go in and we really evaluate nurses. And so I fortunately have a database of over 10,000 responses from nurses. And when we ask them, what are the top five things that make it hard to do your job? The number one answer without fail (laughs) is finding people, just finding people. Because I'm on my floor Now I've got to go find the call sheet. I don't know who's on call. I don't know who has this phone. I don't know how to get hold of this person specifically. So it just turns into this this massive thing that they have to manage all day long and that the page and wait or call and wait, you know, they don't get people instantly. And so what we try to do is just collapse all that down. So if I don't know the name, that's fine. I know the role. I know that it's the charge nurse or the circulating nurse in the OR or the cardiologist on call. And the software then will take care of calling that person if they're signed in. That's really smart. That's smart. Yeah, that's all sound like really smart 
technology is super useful and I can understand why somebody, it sounds like the kind of thing that once introduced, somebody would be like, yes, heck yes. Sign yeah. me up for this. I'm going to use this yes. technology and not reject it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And nurses who use the, the Vocera badge or the, the wearable, <laughs> they're usually very, very resistant to having that change because it's so convenient. I was a judge panelist for Nurse Hackathon this last weekend to look at new innovative ideas that staff nurses brought forward. And one of the nurses that I was mentoring and giving feedback to, she she sent me a message and she said, oh, the by the way, I think every nurse should have a Sarah because she said it has really, it makes a difference in the work environment. That's wonderful. So when I think about your career, what I would like to know, I mean, it sounds like you're doing amazing things and have for, have been for quite a while, but I'm really enjoying this question around like, what would 10-year-old Rhonda think about what you're doing now? Did 10-year-old Rhonda have any clue that you would be up to what you're doing professionally? No. In fact, 10-year-old Rhonda was a very quiet, shy little girl who panicked if any attention was called to her and had very little self-confidence. I was raised in a very conservative, patriarchal environment where, you know, women were not expected to be educated or to work or anything like that. And so I completely broke the mold <laughs> in that format. But, you know, I did get married young. I was only 20 years old when I married my husband. And I was a mother of two by the time I was 23. And still just, I can tell you, I had this churning in me that I needed to do something and I wanted to learn. I wanted to be out in the world because my life had been very, very cloistered until that point. And uh, for me, I tell this to young women that I mentor all the time. For me, education was the answer. Okay. It was, it was I wanted to go to nursing school because frankly, raised in my environment, the, the idea of service was really compelling to me. And I've always felt like that, you know, I'm a citizen of the, the broader world. It's not just about me. It's about what is around me and my community. And so I went to nursing school and frankly, nursing changed my life. It changed everything. It changed the lives of my family and everyone because I understood it. I was compelled by it. And I went on eventually to finish a doctorate in nursing, but it was, it was simply because I felt like I had something to give back. The profession had given me so much. I wanted to give back to it. And so now I'm just, I'm absolutely passionate about telling the stories of nurses and ensuring they have what they need to do the job that they have to do. And now we're in such a crisis of staffing shortage and, and individuals leaving the profession and expressing frustration and burnout with the environment. I'm very compelled to continue to work on that and see what can we do from my seat? What can I do from my seat to make it easier for them to do their job and to support them as they care for patients? Because neither you or I will get out of this life without needing a nurse. We That's right. Need a nurse, And we want them to be there when our time comes. So those are the things that really motivate me. As a 10-year-old girl, I had no vision. I had no idea. I never saw beyond, you know, being a wife and a mother. But nursing did give me that vision. And so what age were you when you had that aha moment? Like at what point did you enroll in nursing school? I was 28 years old. 
I had two small children and I remember the moment distinctly. <laughs> I was at our home and I was looking out the kitchen window doing dishes because I didn't have a dishwasher. I was I'm currently in my dishwasher right now too. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I was looking out the window and I remember tears came to my eyes and I and I thought I cannot live like this for the rest of my life. I can't do this. So I had to make very hard decisions about leaving the, the culture of my family and the religion and all that kind of stuff. I had to make very hard decisions, but I had a very supportive, willing husband. And then I had connections. We financially couldn't do anything. <laughs> and there was a, a doctor in my town who offered scholarships to individuals who wanted to go into the health profession. His wife was someone that I knew through other entities. And she said, I'm going to have Mike sponsor you to go to nursing school. And truly, I've said many times, he changed my life. He was a urologist there in the town we lived in. And he paid for everything. He paid for my books, my tuition. He bought my uniforms, my stethoscope, everything. So No I, expectation for you to pay him back or anything. Zero. That's and in amazing. fact, when I finished nursing school and I graduated and took my state boards, I sent him a note to say thank you for everything because I, I, it would have never happened without you. And... Can I do anything? I, I'm perfectly willing to work for you. And he responded back to me and he said, I just want you to go out there and be the best nurse that you can be. And, and he said, that's my reward. And so I've thought many times he has passed on. I've reached out to his wife. I was a vice president at Baylor in Dallas, Texas, and I finished a master's degree by then. And I reached out to his wife, Trudy, and I said, I've wanted him to know how many times, how many lives he changed. Because he really did. He changed many lives. My lives, my husband, my children. He really had an impact. And I'm so grateful for it. So I try to do the same thing. I try to give back. Well, it's the kind of thing that when you pay it forward, you have no idea how big of an impact it can be. And then literally, like just not just changing somebody's professional life, but also their family life. I mean, look at, I'm sure you're now a role model to your kids and your community and in all the different ways that, you know, you're touching others and then they can exactly. go ahead and do the same. Exactly. I mean, people go on and they contribute to society, to their community, to their friends. And I've always tried with my profession and truly in technology, it's just like, you know, there's not a, lot, a whole lot of us women in the technology side of nursing. It is growing rapidly, but I really try to be that mentor to ensure that somebody else has the opportunities that I had because I feel like there's two components to that. You have to be open when the opportunity knocks at your door, and then you have to be willing to provide it for others as well. I love that. So on that note, sounds like you mentor quite a few people. What is some of your best advice that you give to them? Number one is when it looks the scariest, walk through the door, open the door and just go for it. You will learn quickly where you fit in. And also from the technology side of it, I would say technology needs the voice of the nurse. They need to understand how we practice, what our workflow looks like how we learn and how we use. And so you should never hesitate 
to be that voice of confidence and a subject matter expert, be willing to offer your expertise. That is my number one advice. Take a seat at the table, fill up that chair. <laughs> Go ahead and speak out. <laughs> because uh, They need to hear your voice, whether they know it or not. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so much technology that get, gets created without the information of people who are going to be using it or the insight or perspective from the folks that are going to be using it. Absolutely. I've been at this a while, so I've had a few experiences where I've sat in rooms with engineers who said, well, and I've said, I don't think we should do it that way. And they've said, well, I think, you know, it doesn't even make sense. It's not logical that somebody would do this and this and this. And, you know, my feedback is I didn't say it was logical. I said it's going to happen because I know how nurses work under pressure. And I know how they interface with like medical devices and all of those sort of things. And as it turns out, I was exactly right. You know, within a year, someone had done what they said would never be done. That's the kind of influence that nursing can have. It's just be brave and step up. And the thing is, you, you may not be the expert with the technology, but you're the expert with the practice. Mm-hmm. And that's what they need. You can learn how the technology works, but it's very difficult for them to learn how a nurse practices, what our education is, the nuance of the art and the science. And that's what you bring to the table. Yeah, I'm really trying to find more ways to actively try to get the voice of nurses at different seats of the table because it seems like they've either been ignored or looked over for so long. And it's like there's such an imperative part of the system that if their opinions and perspectives and insights aren't taken into account, like it's to the detriment of everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I did the American Nurse Project, I did a book in a documentary. It was really because I wanted nurses to be able to tell their own stories in their voice because I didn't want anyone else speaking for us. I thought it was very important that we articulate how educated, how diverse, and and how important we are living in our community. Nurses are the largest workforce in the healthcare. There's millions of us. (laughs) We bring in expertise to the table. And so that's one of the things that even through the pandemic, it's been nurses that have really, it's been nursing care. Yeah. I think that that you hit on something that it's like, unfortunately, I think a lot of people think about nursing as a commodity. Like it's just an easy (laughs) thing and it's not. It's like these people are professionals. They have a specific set of skills and you know, sacrifices that they're making, that it's not just something that's easily exchangeable. You can't just put anybody in that role and expect them to know what they're doing. That's exactly right. And that's why nurses permeate everything. And that's why we're in healthcare, we're in policy, we're in technology, we're in, you know, education. We do all of that because we bring that expertise to the table and that discipline to the table. Oh, that was another thing I wanted to ask you about. You have some experience working with like with policy, right? At least influencing policy. Can you share what that has been like for you? What that experience has been? You know, when you're working in advocacy and policy, it's the long game. It's not a quick thing. And you have to have the conversations about my local area, my state. I was a women's health nurse. I was labor and delivery. So I was very involved with some of the national organizations providing care women in our communities and making sure I've been on advisory boards for those organizations. 
But you have to realize that sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back, and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And so, but the experience of being able to work in that has really opened my eyes to how do we, how do you get funding? How do you get grants? How do you get politicians who are responsible for these things involved in your cause? And I'll say this, they always appreciate the nurse's voice because we bring such a diverse background to the conversation. Right now, I'm a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing. And so what we look at are how do we create policies for public health? And how do we create policies for educating the nurses who are going to care for the public overall? And I'll tell you, how do you start it? You just start talking (laughs) and you, you just start being interested in it and knocking on doors and showing up at the legislature and saying, I want to speak. I have something to say here because of my experience in working with these patients. And it doesn't take long until people know who you are and they know what your position is and you really do make a difference. That's the one thing I would tell you is just by speaking up, you make a difference. There's no such thing as being powerless in those conversations. So would that be making sure that you know if in your either your region or your state or wherever that they're having particular meetings and literally just showing up. You don't necessarily have to be representing an organization. You could just be representing yourself with your perspective. Just show up to the meeting. And when, yeah. That's right. As local as school boards, what I've done in the state of Texas, our legislature only meets every two years. So I've spent many years being present in Austin while legislature is in session to speak on topics that have to do with women in healthcare. I've met with my congressmen, my state senators. You'll be surprised how easy it is to just pick up the phone and call, make an appointment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you feel intimidated at first? Because I know that oh, I, I, yeah, of yeah, course, yeah. right? <laughs> I was like, oh, they're not going to talk to me. They don't know who I am. They don't care. But honestly, I found that they appreciate hearing from the constituents and just just make the phone call or just yeah. go on the door. There's always an intern or someone who is there who can take your name and back to you if the actual congressperson or, you know, the state senator or whoever is not there. But I have found it to be really rewarding. And then before you know it, people are calling you because they go, oh, she's an expert on this or she's a nurse and we need to talk to someone in healthcare about this. That's great. And so those conversations. I love it. That's great advice. Well, Rhonda, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and story with me. I really appreciate this time that we've had together. If people want to follow you or connect with your organization, how would you direct them? You can follow me on Twitter at RhondaCNO. And it's super easy to remember. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. Vocera is on Twitter as well. Vocera.com. We put content out all the time talking about nurses, nurses' involvement, what we're doing in our advocacy work, what I'm doing, talking about cognitive burden, the technology capabilities, you know, stories from nurses and and physicians telling their stories. We really do have a lot of content, so check us out. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing and the impact that you're making. You're making a difference. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Hit 
Eat Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com.